The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth. But no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. I think I need to change the theme music. Welcome back. Hope you had a good weekend. This is Steve Noble. I think I need to change the theme music to the Twilight Zone. And maybe just change my name. I, I should probably start identifying as Rod Surly. If you're old enough to know who that is, uh, I know how old you are. I mean, Rod Serling, the host of The Twilight Zone, right? Do, 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 because that's apparently where we live. Welcome back. It is Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Great to be with you. Hope you had a good weekend. Had a very full and very blessed week last week, so I'm excited to be back. Thanks to my buddy, Stu Epperson, Jr., who is the uh, chief poobah of the Truth Radio Network for sitting in on Friday. And he did radio for years, in case you couldn't tell. (laughs) Stu is like a ping pong ball stuck in a clothes dryer, man. He is all over the place, high energy. So, uh, Stu, baby, thank you for sitting in for me. And I was up at Liberty University speaking to a gathering of Christian legislators. That's a group that's been... Uh, they just got started like three or four years ago. They had 24 states represented. So I spoke to them about education in general and civics education and charged them with empowering parents to the best of their ability across the country, as well as in their states, if they can pass legislation to make it uh, a requirement to graduate from high school, that you have to be able to pass a basic U.S. civics test like the ones you have to take when you come here legally. Imagine that. Because only about uh, less than 20% of the country can even name the three branches of government. And so when you have an ignoramus population, it's easy to manipulate them. And they're just, uh, you know, most people live very myopic lives. And, you know, they, they basically are thinking about summer vacation and paying the bills and maybe one day going to Disney or whatever. And so a lot of people just aren't that informed. And uh, we pay the price. Everybody pays the price for that ignorance, especially at the civics level, because people don't know how the country is supposed to work. They don't know what the founding principles are. And then, quite frankly, they don't care unless it really starts to impede on their myopic personal lives. And so most people just are massively ignorant, which is sad. So that was good on on, uh, Friday. And then across assembly here in Raleigh did uh, with Pastor Chad Harvey, who you listen to on the Truth Radio Network. Incredible preacher. Had a uh, first ever really big homeschool and Christian school gathering of a bunch of different vendors and different organizations. I was there for Noble U. That was all day Saturday. Had our daughter's graduation party on Sunday. Threw in a little supper club on Saturday night in between just because we had a few minutes available. (laughs) So it was a very full week. And I hope yours was good as well. Well, here we go again. Uh, Donald Trump indicted again. A few more out there on the horizon. So uh, I want to talk about that. Uh, But let's start with this, because if you're watching on Facebook or Rumble, you noticed on the big screen TV behind me, uh, looking at, there it is. Let me just turn around and gaze at it. That's the backside of the White House. Okay, the the 
front of the White House. You're used to seeing the backside of the White House, which faces the Washington Monument. That's got the curved portico with the big columns, right? So in between, there's uh, uh, six columns there. And in between, there's uh, the like the kind of the first floor, basically, balcony. And then there's a second floor balcony. And then there's black railing all around all that. Well, hanging from the second floor balcony in the middle, vi- a violation of U.S. flag code, by the way, in the middle is the big pride flag, which now includes the other letters, so that's prominent in the middle. And then though and then the wimpy little side party US flags are hung on the right and the left. So the pride flag is dominant to say the least. And that was for obviously Pride Month here in North Carolina. Not North Carolina, sorry, the United States of America. And Joe Biden, who doesn't know what he's doing, uh had a big party, a big pride party on the back lawn. Of the White House, and they had this big giant flag display there, which is disgusting uh, for a number of reasons, uh, not to mention the fact that they're violating flag codes. Because the U.S. flag, uh, here's one right here, U.S. flag code, which reads, the flag of the United States of America should be at the center and at the highest point of the group when a number of flags of states or localities or pendants of, of societies are grouped and displayed from staffs. Okay, so that's a vertical. When it's horizontal, you still have the flag has to be the most prominent thing, which would be in the middle. In this case, it's not. The pride flag is in the middle, which makes it look like the U.S. flags to its right and its left are subservient. Which for this, a lot of people in this movement, that's true. The U.S. flag should be subservient to the pride flag because the pride flag is woke and the U.S. flag is the problem. Right. And, and I believe that's the message they sent. Biden doesn't know any better. He probably hardly knew where he was, sad to say. And so they proudly, they proudly display this out there. And uh, Biden was talking to them, and at one point he didn't say transgender. He said transgester because he can't speak, which is sad. Uh, and at one point he's talking about they're the bravest and most inspiring people and an example for the U.S. and the entire world. Uh, I think that in the American context, our African-American uh, brothers and sisters, neighbors, are the bravest and most inspiring because they've uh, uh, dealt with the most. And, and then you can throw the indigenous people in there as well. Uh, and then the people that have dealt with, and I'm not saying that anti-LGBTQ activity is not real. It certainly is. A lot of hatred, a lot of disgust, a lot of mistreatment, a lot of abuse. I mean, that's true, but not near to the extent of these other things. Yet the White House is just all in. Did they have a big outdoor Black History Month party? Does anybody remember that? I I don't think so. Here's what Jill Biden said. Outside the gates of this house are those who want to drag our country backwards. And so many battles yet to be braved. But today, we're not here to be strong. We're not here to be courageous. Even though for so many of you, just coming to this event is an act of bravery. Really? Really, Jill? A invite-only event at the Pride White House is dangerous to get to in 2023 in Washington, D.C., or pretty much anywhere in America, for that matter? Are you kidding me? What a joke. These people are so delusional. Please, Lord, help us. And by the way, I'm not homophobic. I don't hate gay people or transgender people. 
Nice try. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Uh, Peyton on Facebook Live. Thanks, buddy. It's disrespectful to the United States flag. I served in the Army because I love the Stars and Stripes. This is a good one. Mark, this is a good one. They need to stick with the American flag. The LGBTQ flag is not for everyone. But it's the, their nature to divide us, not to unite us. Right. The American flag is, is flies over everyone. That stands for the United States of America. And we're all together in this to a certain extent. And uh, But the LGBTQ flag is not. That's for division. Division and derision. All right. So it's June 12th. <clears throat> 12 days down, 18 to go. Uh, and then I was listening the other day uh, when Glenn Beck is on vacation and Stu and the other guy, just forgot his name, take over. The, the, it sounds like a, it's a radio show run by a couple of High school guys, and they just goof around a lot. But last week, they did do something which I thought was fascinating. They looked up all the different days and months and weeks throughout the course of the year, the calendar year, that have something to do with the LGBTQIA community and, and recognition and pride and celebration and acknowledgement and blah, 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 blah. And when they added it all together, it was about 42% of the calendar. Uh, you could paint with uh, a rainbow marker. That in some way, by some organization, something here in the U.S. of A. is all about the LGBTQIA movement, whereas black history gets one month. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Okay. Donald Trump. Here we go again. Yet another indictment. This one for uh, the handling of classified materials. And some people, Jonathan Turley's like, uh, yeah, this is um, this is much bigger trouble than what happened with Alvin Bragg in New York, which is in process. And then you've got uh, uh, William Barr said, oh, if just half this stuff is true, uh, he's toast. So you got different opinions all over the place. None of those opinions will matter until you get into a court of law and they, they, they have a judge who was a Trump appointee, by the way, down in Florida. We'll see what happens there. And then they pick a, a jury to go through it. There was a grand jury, so there was a group of people down there hearing the evidence and at some point said, yeah, I think you got enough to go down this road. So we'll see. And, and when uh, Mr. Trump says, uh, I can declassify things as the president, that's true while you're the president, but by... Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time on January 20th that year, he wasn't the president and he no longer has that ability. So it's going to be interesting to watch this unfold. <clears throat> but here we go again. And so we still have out there the January 6th stuff, which is they're definitely going to do that. And then uh, maybe down in Georgia. But this was interesting because there's the legal side of it. OK, that'll have to work its way out. They're going to have to go through all that mess. And then there's the political side of it, which I think drives the whole narrative, especially as we are getting hot and heavy into the presidential primary. So this was interesting to me. 47% of Americans think charges against Trump are politically motivated, according to an ABC Ipsos survey. While nearly half of Americans support the second indictment of former President Donald Trump relating to his alleged mishandling of classified documents, 
Many also believe it was politically motivated. On Thursday, Trump announced he was indicted by special counsel Jack Smith on 37 federal counts relating to the unlawful retention of classified documents describing the investigation of Fox News Digital as the greatest witch hunt of all time. A recent ABC Ipsos poll conducted after the shocking indictment found that 48% of Americans think Trump was rightfully charged in the classified documents case, while 35% did not think he should have been indicted. About 17% reported feeling unsure about whether the former president should have been indicted the second time. Among political parties, 86% of Democrats and 45% of independents said they support the indictment. Who cares about the Democrats in this case? But the 45% of independents matters in a general election. While the majority of Republicans get this, 67% disagree with the charges against Trump. Uh, Shouldn't we say only 67%? Disagree, that means 33% are like, "Mm, maybe this has got something to it. Of course, it doesn't if your name's Hillary or Joe or uh, Mike or Barack, then it doesn't matter. But if your name's Donald, that's a different story. But it is interesting, 45% of independents say they support the indictment. 33% of Republicans are like, "Mm, maybe there's something to it. According to the poll, and that doesn't matter in a court of law, hopefully, but it does matter. The court of public opinion does matter in a general election, which comes down to whether you want Joe Biden to be the president again or whoever replaces him if something happens between now and then, which is also entirely possible. According to the poll, 47% of Americans think the charges against Trump are politically motivated. 37% said they did not think that politics are driving the investigation. That's funny. And 16% do not know. About 42% of Americans believe the charges are very serious, while 28% do not think the charges against the former president should be taken seriously. So that the polling stuff only matters in far, insofar as election. The election in November, a year from now. Okay? So pay attention to that. Uh, on Integral to all of that is the weaponization of the Department of Justice. This is the bigger picture in terms of American history and the future of the country becoming a banana republic. I mean, more so than it is right now. So this story, this was in The Federalist. House GOP must drop everything and target Merrick Garland. I first saw this this morning on Facebook. Thanks, Cindy, for putting it up and then looked it up this afternoon. All the... All the things that Americans are coping with thanks to Joe Biden's complete horror of a presidency are important. But if House Republicans don't drop all of it right now to aggressively target the attorney general, then none of it matters and they should all jump off a cliff. Seriously, Merrick Garland, Biden's head of the nation's premier law enforcement agency, just chose to seek prison time for a former president. The man right now most likely to face off with the current president in 2024. Completely unprecedented that the Department of Justice is targeting the top contender of the existing president. I mean, this... This sounds like a movie, a Tom Clancy novel, or Netflix series. The magnitude of the situation isn't dependent on a conviction or acquittal. It rests on whether the indictment is legitimized at all. And by doing nothing, House Republicans will have sent the message that there's nothing to do but watch. Watch as your democracy crumbles to ashes and blows away with their absolute indifference. This is a very powerful point. I'm going to come back after the break and we'll finish this one, okay? If House Republicans play this game of let's see what the facts say, And there will be blowback if we overreact. Then it's over. When Democrats were in power, they impeached a sitting president twice, sued to secure his personal tax returns, and brought in a slew of witnesses to embarrass him in televised hearings without batting an eye. 
The bare minimum Republicans can do now is impeach Merrick Garland for attempting to throw a leading presidential candidate in jail over a records-keeping issue. Okay, remember this. Thank you uh, to our buddy Steve Dace, who likes to remind us, and it rings around in my head often. Our Constitution and our founding fathers wanted the rule of law. The rule of law, not of man, but the rule of law. That's why we have a written Constitution. That's the Supremacy Clause of the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution supersedes every other level of law in the country, the Supremacy Clause. And a written law. So you give the government enough power to control the people as much as it needs to, but then it has to control itself, which is where the rub comes in. So now we've got a problem here with the existing Department of Justice, where we no longer live in a country that's run by the rule of law, as Steve Day says. It's run by political will, and the Democrats are much better at that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show, reading from this article in The Federalist about House GOP must drop everything and target Merrick Garland, the head of the Department of Justice, right? Because this is, a, this is very serious. I mean, they're, they're, you can say that uh, the special counsel, Smith, has done due diligence. I mean, they, they, they rock and roll and bring an indictment in eight months. They've had Hunter's laptop for a few years and can't seem to get anything done. They're slow walking that. So this is all very, it's, it's so political. It's so obvious, which is why that polling shows a whole lot of people are like, yeah, I think it's probably p- pretty, pretty political. Yet uh, a good chunk, almost half of independents think, you know, well, it probably should be done anyway. I know there's some political involvement, some political motivation, but, you know, if you messed around with classified documents, blah, 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 blah. And that's all going to matter. Not right now. Doesn't matter in a court of law. Doesn't matter in the Republican primary for the most part, although there is Trump fatigue and I think it's growing. Uh, It'll definitely matter in a general election. And you have to pay attention to that. If our number one goal is to win the White House or is your number one goal to put Trump in the White House? My number one goal is to have a conservative win the White House. If it's Trump, so be it. If it's not Trump, so be it. I just want the White House. But we have to have the political will to do what needs to be done. And that's the point of this article, that the House Republicans don't. Uh, Yeah, historical government records are important. And if Trump had things in his possession that weren't his, the government was in the right to retrieve them. That's a legal and lawyerly process for that. But initial news reports indicate that the Justice Department is throwing the book at him over classified documents Trump retained, something his vice president, former President Obama, and Joe Biden himself have done. There are apparently also charges related to obstruction and conspiracy. Those are charges that Hillary Clinton never faced. Remember James Comey said, yeah, yeah, there's some things here and probably some impropriety, but no judge in the country is going to bring charges against this. So, you know, clean up your act. But not if your name's Trump. We got a different, we got a different book for you. Never, Clinton never faced, even though her setup of a private email server to conduct government business, which she wiped clean after leaving office as Secretary of State, was by definition obstruction and conspiracy. Right, but you're never going to see a liberal perp walked under the swamp. Uh, the sitting director of the FBI said at the time that Clinton was extremely careless in handling government records, but no indictment. By every measure, Merrick Garland has corrupted his office in the persecution of a prominent political opponent who is actively campaigning to unseat Garland's boss. Garland's entire tenure is reeked of retribution for having been denied a Supreme Court seat in 2016. He has claimed that white supremacy is the foremost domestic threat to America by which he means Trump supporters. 
He has directed his department to harass concerned parents who show up at school board meetings. And while he chases down pro-life activists exercising their First Amendment rights, he does nothing to actual domestic terrorists waging a violent war against pro-life pregnancy clinics. Nobody needs to see House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Fox News confessing what a scandal it is or how outraged Americans should be. The Oversight Committee should be dragging in Justice Department officials for hearings, investigating Justice Department communications with the White House, and immediately drafting articles of impeachment for Merrick Garland. Nothing is more important. And that, that's a great point. Uh, I mentioned this on the break, so if you're on Facebook Live or Rumble, you heard me say this. But the thing about this, when you've weaponized the Department of Justice, this is like McCarthyism. This is like uh, Richard Nixon using the power of the government and his inner circle to go after his political opponents. If, when, you, when you weaponize the Department of Justice to go after your political opponents, you don't live in the United States of America anymore. You live in some shadow of it, some bastardization of it, if I can use that word. And that's the problem. That's why I, I reference often one of, one of, uh, oh, I just lost his name. The Kremlin, not, I hate being 57 sometimes. Stalin, thank you very little. Uh, Stalin's right-hand guy said, you show me the man, I'll show you the crime, which is exactly what's going on here with the Department of Justice. Uh, who's the problem politically? And then let's go, uh, let's go find the crime. Right. That's not a that's not a representative republic. That's a banana republic. OK, that's what's going on there. And that's where we're at. Trump, by the way, uh, said just the other day, he's never going to drop out. And that no kidding. I'll never leave. Trump told political in an interview. Look, if I would have left, I would have left prior to the original race in 2016. That was a rough one. In theory, that was not doable. Whatever that means. He does seem to believe that he might get a deal where they may pay, pay him some damages. He's not going to take a plea deal. And even if he gets convicted, he's not going to drop out. But with 37 charges and a federal indictment, if he gets convicted, that, that, that's jail time. And what are, you going to, what are they going to do? Fine him? I mean, this is crazy. Once again, where's Rod Serling when you need him? This is Twilight Zone level stuff. But very scary. Because uh, if they do it to him, they can do it to anybody. And by the way, if the roles were reversed and Republicans were doing this, they'd be guilty too. But lo and behold, they don't. Because Republicans still act like the Constitution and the rule of law is at play, whereas the Democrats know that it's all about political will, and they have a whole lot more of that than your average Republican does. So I have to keep an eye on that. Uh, watch Chris Christie. This will be interesting. I mean, what's he doing? Just He was lonely. He's, make, he's raising money. I, what's he doing? So he came out, this is, uh, Chris Christie explains why he believes his attack on Trump will work where others have failed. And, and of all the people out there, he would be the one to go after him. They've never really had a Republican come out and really directly make the case in the context of a campaign on the facts against his record. This is Chris Christie saying. Margaret, he, he's talking to the reporter. He said he was going to repeal and replace Obamacare. He didn't do it, even with a Republican Congress, which is true. He said he was going to build a wall across the entire border and Mexico was going to pay for it. He not only didn't build the wall, we haven't gotten our first peso from Mexico. He said he was going to balance the budget in four years. He left with the highest deficit of any president in modern history. He said he was going to retire the national debt in eight years. Literally impossible, by the way. He added trillions to the national debt. The tax cut was good, Christie says. Some of his regulatory reform was good. The Abraham Accords in the Middle East were good. But other than that, on the main core things he promised our Republican base, he failed. Okay. 
Good luck, Chris. We'll see what happens. And I don't have a problem with Chris Christie going out there and doing that. Uh, nobody's safe here. You get, in a, you get in a primary? Let him go. It's a cage match for a reason. You study U.S. history and you study civics, you'll understand that for the first mm, about 130 years of this nation's history, uh, the political insiders decided who the candidates were. Primaries and stuff are modern, a, a relatively modern mechanism to, de- to democratize the process more, to get us involved more. And the point of a primary is to let it rip, get them all in there, get them in a cage match, and may the best man or woman win. May the best candidate win. I have no problem with that. All right, let's finish with this. Then we're going to talk to David Fisher and get a little Money Monday update in the last segment today on Monday, June 12th. Social conservatism in the U.S. highest in about a decade. Is that, I, this is not the Babylon Bee. More Americans this year, 38%, say they are very conservative or conservative on social issues than said no in 2022. 33% in 2021, 30%. So now it's up to 38%. At the same time, the percentage saying their social views are very liberal or liberal has dipped to 29% from 34% in each of the past two years, while the portion identifying as moderate remains near a third. The last time this many Americans said they were socially conservative was 2012. Wow. The results are based on Gallup's annual values and beliefs survey conducted May 1st to the 24th. The survey comes at a time when many states are considering policies regarding transgender matters, abortion, crime, drug use, and the teaching of gender and sexuality in schools. The increase in conservative identification on social issues over the past two years is seen among nearly all political and demographic subgroups. Republicans show one of the largest increases from 60% in 2021 to 74% today. Independents show a modest uptick of five percentage points from 24 to 29%, while there's been no change among Democrats, no kidding, 10% in both 21 and 2023. Since 2021, there have been double-digit increases in conservative social ideology among middle-age adults, those between the ages of 30 and 64. Uh, In other words, parents. Hmm. At the same time, older Americans' ideology on social issues has been stable, while there's been a modest increase in conservative social ideology among young adults. Economic conservatism also ticked up. And then here's the bottom line. This is from Gallup. For most of the past eight years, Americans were about as likely to say they were liberal as conservative on social issues. This year, there's a more obvious conservative advantage. The shift is mostly due to increasing social conservatism among Republicans at a time when social issues such as transgender rights, abortion, and other hot-button concerns are prominent in the national public debate. And this will be interesting to watch. Uh, Ron DeSantis has been playing in those waters for the last five years. Donald Trump does not play in those waters. He did with trying to get uh, the three Supreme Court justices he did, and he likes to talk about how he got Roe versus Wade overturned. But other than that, you're going to see him pretty quiet on these issues. He's not going to go hardcore on abortion. He's just going to say, hey, I got you. I got Roe versus Wade overturned. But he's not going to go too hard there. The Santos will and others will. But that's an interesting little bright spot, isn't it? Because the people on the left, especially the woke crowd, the CRT crowd, the LGBTQIA plus crowd, especially, and the transgender thing especially, have gone too far. They've crossed a bridge too far. When they start dragging kids into it. And I know they all say, hey, you think all you crazy Christians think we're all pedophiles. No, I don't. I actually assume most of you are not pedophiles. But it is interesting. The overwhelming majority of you probably are not. But it is interesting. They say we're not after kids. But when we complain about the kids at your drag show, you get really mad at us. Yeah, that's a bridge too far. 
You're messing with people's kids surgically as well. And people are biting back. We'll be right back. I've been waiting on a war since I was young. Welcome back at Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Great to be with you. Thank you for your time today. And you can catch the show uh, Facebook Live, Rumble, pretty much all the major podcast platforms. Of course, on our great radio uh, affiliates, uh, mostly across North Carolina, but South Carolina and Virginia, even some out in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and a couple other places. So we appreciate all that. Uh, One other thing that I appreciate uh, more than I can ever bring up is my good friend David Fisher from Landmark Capital. Uh, David, it's great to have you on. Uh, We'll talk later after the show, but I love you and appreciate you guys. It's great to have you on. How are you? Oh, my brother. Iron sharpens iron. You've influenced my life and my wife's life so much. It's great to be a part of the, your greater family there in Amen. Raleigh and uh, your listening audience. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, as always. Well, on our Money Monday updates, I love that we always uh, get started uh, on the correct foot because we start with Scripture, which is awesome. I love this passage that you picked. Uh, and, and I think th- the thing about the Holy Spirit that I love, David, is that he can take one passage, in this case, First Chronicles sixteen twelve, and he can apply it specifically and differently to every single person un- that can hear our voice, which is so cool. I, I love thinking about the Holy Spirit doing that. But let's go there first. This is a great passage, First Chronicles sixteen twelve. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. So... I want to give like a little encouragement. If you're ever feeling blue, just think back and remember the wonders that God has done in your life, and it should put turn that frown to a smile. You sh- and let's you know, there's something about a grateful heart that God really enjoys to see in his sons and daughters. And there's something that happens when we have a grateful heart, when we're reminiscing and being thankful of the greatness of God in our lives, where he turns our mourning into joy. So just whenever you're feeling a little bit down, just remember all the faithfulness of God in your life, that he is faithful no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, mm-hmm. he is faithful and he has great plans for you in the future. Yeah, so encouraging. And the thing that I, I just highlighted as you were talking about that, uh, remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, yep. and the judgment he pronounced. Uh, and, I, and a great theologian, a guy I've learned a lot from in the past, once said, David, that we, we remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. Now, you play around with that one in your head for a while, but that that tends to be, you know, we beat ourselves up. I do that, too. We remember what we should forget, things that are under the blood. And then we forget the things that we should remember, which is what you're talking about with First Chronicles 16, 12, that God has been faithful. I mean, we're all here right now, right? So he's brought us through whatever we've been through, and here we are still yet today. So what a great reminder. Thanks for that encouragement. Last week you brought up, David, uh, uh I don't like talking about the Federal Reserve, <laughs> the Federal Reserve Emergency <laughs> Funding Account. Uh, any more news on that? Because there was a surge there, and you know the uh, I guess the shell game continues. Yeah, the shell game continues. Twenty-eight point four billion dollars. Those that need reminding came out of small to medium-sized banks. You know, people were moving their money around. Some of that went back into big banks. Some went in gold. Some went in other places, but. The Federal Reserve turned that $28 billion that was re-de- some of it was redeposited back into the 
other banks, and they hypothecated the fractional reserve system. They created $102.5 billion from that $28.4 billion, and they put it into the emergency bank funding facility. They weren't done last Thursday. <laughs> they... I, I don't, they're funding this thing for a reason. I have That's to right. That's right. imagine here. $3.47 billion were additional funding on top of the 102.5. So they just keep funding this thing. Mm. And Dallas, uh, the former Dallas Federal Reserve head chairman, Robert Kaplan, says that banks are still in trouble. He's saying bank leadership is very aware that the economy is slowing and that they're about likely to enter a very challenging credit environment. He's also talking about how that most CEOs of small and mid-sized bank are in a very tough position. They're trying to raise equity while while interest rates are working against them, while their stock prices are down. And obviously, we're moving into this position where we, where Morgan Stanley said that the commercial loans and real estate are going to turn sour, and we're moving into the most challenging times. And in the midst of that, CEOs of banks understand that, and the Federal Reserve understands it. And what are they doing? Creating more money out of thin air, getting ready for another financial possible bank failure. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah that's like all of a sudden you're like, hey, I need to triple my my uh, life insurance policy, or I need yeah. to quadruple my fire insurance policy. And you're like, uh, what's up with that? Like, what's going on? Or hey, I need to I need to buy uh, six months worth of food storage. Uh, really? Why? Well, well, it looks like something's coming on the horizon, which is the the message they're sending. And since they don't actually have more money, they just create it and play shenanigans as usual, which is scary. But the fact is, and, and thank you for bringing that up, David, that they obviously see something on the horizon. The bank emergency and the bank problem is not over. So we need to continue to pay attention to that. Staying on our uh favorite topic here at the federal reserve what's going on with the digital currency because like so everybody understands this during the covid years uh david that the facebook my facebook page they they obviously turned the volume down right so i don't have nearly as much traffic on facebook as i used to and thank goodness for rumble which is past that now but but they could kind of control the volume that's what scares me about the federal reserve central bank digital currency is they literally can kind of control uh, what you do with it, as well as the value of it. So what's going on with that? So I just want to piggyback a little bit more about the banking problem, because there's a, a trillion dollars that, according to Goldman Sachs, is going to need to be created this year. And and just right now, in the next five weeks, the they got to create um, $400 billion, $550 billion by the end of the month. So this money is just going to be created out of thin air. So this confirms that we do have a financial problem and they're willing to use the dollar as a problem uh, to, excuse me, fix the problem to save the whole system. So they're going to devalue the dollar by creating all this money out of thin air. Again, I said uh, $50 trillion by 2030, and I'm going to say by the end of this year, we're going to be at $33.5 trillion. So uh, they're just printing money like crazy. That tells us there's a big problem getting ready to happen. But back yep. to your question. Digital currency. So there was a new poll from the Cato Institute on what do you think for Americans? What do you think about this new digital currency when or if it comes out? Are you for it or against it? And the 
the Institute found out that most people didn't know too much about it, huh. ironically, and they kind of did a piggy bowl, piggybacked on the poll that actually educated people and took more information in a secondary poll. So here's the numbers. Only 34% were against it. 16% were for it. And most Americans did not have a clue about it. So the Cato Institute did some indirect uh, education and survey, and they asked these, these following questions, which told people, here's what it's all about. They said, overwhelmingly, the majorities of the op- opposed the adoption of central bank hmm. currencies, if that meant here the government can control your money on where you spent it, then 74% were against it. If the government could monitor your spending, then 68% were against it. If the government could abolish U.S. cash, paper money, then 68% also were against it. If the government would attract, uh, would, if this would attack uh, your account with cyber attacks increasing, 65% were against it. 64% were against it if they charged you a tax if you did not spend this money in your bank account. That's <laughs> a digital currency. Check wow. that out. Wow. And a couple more. Government would seize your digital bank account if you had a certain political belief. Yep. 59% ESG. didn't like that. And the last one, 52% Americans were opposed to this if it shut down your private bank or it caused your bank to go out of business. Whoa. So it's still pretty low considering the yep. fact there's a lot of people still, a big chunk of people embracing this idea, which that Cato Institute summarized everything that the digital currency would actually do. Right. You just named uh, basically like the top five, six, seven concerns that we've been expressing that you've been talking to us about. And I would expect the anti number to be closer to 90 percent. But yet it isn't. I mean, it's about north of 50 percent. But still, that's really scary. And, and it just reminds me of the scripture. People perish for lack of knowledge which is why we talk about education all the time when you're on, David. And so, But when they get some knowledge, all of a sudden they're like, oh, this doesn't sound so good, which is why it's so important for us to pay attention. So what's going on as a result of all this stuff with gold and silver right now? A whole bunch of billionaires are coming out of the woodwork all of a sudden this week. Here's one, Jeffrey Gunlock. We've talked about him before. He's the second largest billionaire, the Bond King. He is saying just because gold didn't, has pulled back uh, below $2,000. It's one of the best investments to own. He said, it's, quote, it's pretty clear that we have to look uh, to soon to be at the front of this recession. The real asset is gold, which has gone up s- somewhat this year. He's encouraging everybody to diversify into gold. Another re- renowned investor, Jim Rogers, he uh, funds, he runs a quantum fund. He's an expert in currency, and he said this. He expects this bear market to be the worst in his lifetime. He's like 82 years old. You should be extremely worried. If you're not, you do not know what's going on. He's an advocate. He's saying of the gold, he's saying we're going to lose our dollar status. They said they didn't fix anything by raising the debt ceiling and uh, foreigners are selling dollars like crazy. Wow. And uh, lots of people are diversifying into gold. Yep. And that requires education. How can people get that? They can give us a call, 844-604-2575, 844-604-2575, 
or LandmarkGold.com. Excellent. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. This is Steve Noble on The Steve Noble Show, and God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. Another program powered by The Truth Network. 